Welcome back to another episode of Authentic Influence. I'm your host, Adam Connor. Today we talk, among other things, about the importance and power of teams. First off, if you're new, I'm going to get into what today's show is about real soon. It's a big one. I love it. But I'm glad you're here, and I hope you stick around to listen to more of our episodes. It's a show about how some of the most interesting and innovative brands in the world today are becoming more authentic, but specifically through mobilizing their masses. And I'm hard-pressed to find an organization in the world today which is receiving these authentic experiences of their masses more so than technology giant Microsoft. I'm on today with their chief brand officer, Kathleen Hall, to talk more about that, about how the brand is harnessing all of these experiences and democratizing technology by making the way people communicate richer and more deeply connected than ever, despite our collective distance. Now, this is also a podcast that I was able to hold over Microsoft Teams, which is really great. I got audio and I got video, which is a new thing for the show. So if this is the first time that you're listening in, uh, that's a new innovation that I did uh, just specifically for you. But overall, Kathleen is a brilliant mind, obviously uh, a leading mind in technology, and is able to sit in a company right now which is doing some really wonderful things for families and friends and employees alike truly mobilizing their masses through technology. So it was a pleasure to have the conversation. It was a real treat, and I'm going to let you hear it right now. So without further ado, through Teams, this is our conversation with Microsoft's Kathleen Hall. All right, everybody, I am here with Kathleen Hall from Microsoft on a special video-powered authentic influence. Kathleen, how are you? It's so nice to see you. I'm doing well. Yeah, it's great to see you. It's great to connect. This is the first time that I've done this podcast in sort of, I guess what will be released is two forms. Of course, the core audio, uh, which people have enjoyed over the last 18 months, and now video for the first time, uh, thankfully being able to use Teams for that, which is a really uh, great way to, to drink the Kool-Aid, to practice what we're preaching here as we preach it. So thanks for, for suggesting that. Yeah, thanks for using it. We appreciate it. It adds a little extra personal touch, as you can probably feel already, right? Yeah, totally. Except for the fact that apparently I've already committed a faux pas, as you've pointed out, as I've learned. The, the shirt's going to give some people a little bit of dizziness. But that's all right, folks. Sorry about that. Uh, fortunately, uh, I got a great face and shirt for radio, and so that's how we'll proceed today. Uh, the first thing that I want to do, Kathleen, is I want to learn a little bit more uh, about your journey to this point. What's new at Microsoft? Obviously, there's a ton new and a ton going on, but I just want to learn about your journey to this point and your journey right now. Wow. My journey to this point has been a pretty wild ride. I come from a pretty blue-collar background of a family cop and a nurse who met in an emergency room in New York City, and I was supposed to be the lawyer, you know, the hope for the next generation. Yeah. And I kind of you know, sort of broke my dad's heart thinking I want to do advertising. He had no idea what it meant, what it was about. And uh, it's pretty much been a joy and a love ever since. I picked the right career. What about it uh, enthralled you so much, even from a, from a young age, that was enough to disappoint your dad? I mean, this is cool, but, but look at you now. I mean, what the heck? I think Worked I've always fine. been kind of a pop culture hound. Like, I, I love TV. I love the commercials. I loved, you know, Smokey the Bear and the Native American crying over the garbage. You won't remember any of this because you're a lot younger than me. But you Smokey just, the Bear? Smokey ah, the Bear? Uh, the, the Native American was pretty, uh, pretty 70s. But, you know, I saw early the potential for advertising and pop culture to change society. You know, I was the generation where environmentalism was just starting and the end of the, you know, sort of civil rights movement was happening. And, 
you know, there was power there in storytelling and I was really attracted to it. And I think the parallel of why not law was, law is about precedence, right? It's all about what happened in the past. Yeah. Marketing is all about potential. What can we make happen in the future? And I think that's what excites me. You know, that answer reminds me a lot of, uh, I'll talk to folks sometimes who are have a real heavy background in advertising and started there. And I had a conversation earlier this year uh, with a gentleman by the name of Jason Harris, who founded Mechanism. Uh, and that is the similar story to what he said. He's, he had those, those characters in his mind and, and the stories that they told and providing uh, a sort of a look forward. That, that's a similar a passion. So understandably so, this would be an enticing industry for you. And then Microsoft comes and knocking and you've been able to do some pretty incredible things there. What have been some of your favorite moments so far uh, as you've propelled that brand vastly forward? Wow. Well, Microsoft came knocking and I was uh, a dyed-in-the-wool Northeasterner, you know, East Coaster. And I'm like, where exactly is Seattle and what? Um, <laughs> but what really appealed to me and the reason I came out here was it was a category in a company where I knew marketing could make a difference. I came on the heels of Vista, which was not a bright time for the company. You know, it was the I'm a Mac, I'm a PC campaign where right. they were kind of getting their butts kicked. And most people would say, well, don't go there. A lot of my friends said, why would you go there? And I go, that's exactly why I would go there because the potential for marketing to, you know, really unleash and uncover the soul and the values of this company to me was huge. So that's what attracted me. It was a what turnaround. Was Oh, turnaround. Yeah. Well, for sure. And you talk about the soul and the values. In what ways do you think that soul has been enriched since that time? Like, what are the core principles you think that Microsoft carried through that Vista, that Mac versus PC era to today, where you're deeply digitally connected, very services oriented, subscription heavy? It's obviously, uh, it's it's renewed itself across, you know, the last 10, 15 years in that way. What, what are some of the principles from a marketing and advertising perspective and from a brand holistically, you think that have, have powered that? Well, I think it's being true to your values. I mean, we didn't really change who that guy was. We just kind of gave him a, a, you know, a kind of queer eye for the straight guy makeover. Like he, <laughs> we are who we are. We are the nerds who do great things that help people do what they do. I think the point of view was really important where for the most part, the category was about the shiny thing, right? The device, this gorgeous phone, this gorgeous thing. And we're like, we're not really about that. We're about what people do with our things. What do they what do they accomplish in the world? So that really led us to this positioning of empowerment. We're we're a platform for people realizing their dreams and visions, not, you know, buying something that looks good in their pocket necessarily. Although our devices look gorgeous. Well, uh, that's that's a great I mean, it's it's a great realization to say, you know what? And, and, I, and I hear it a lot on the show. It's like, know, know what you are, know what your consumers are, and stick to that. And to get that Mac versus PC then maybe doesn't sound like it was necessarily the competition that you were trying to have. Is that is that a fair assessment? No, we, we took ourselves out of it. We said, yeah. you know, okay, that's fun for you, but here, here's who we are. You know, we're a PC, and that's cool. It's cool to be a PC. We, here's, right. here's what we do, you know? Hey, I'm working off of one right now, you know? Yeah, it was a mindset shift. And really then, you know, we didn't – we didn't have to build values. We just uncovered them. You know, the values of inclusiveness. You know, other companies are about the individual. We're about the collective. What's good for the people? What's democratizing technology? Can you get a hold of this? Can you be open? You know, open source. Can you develop on our on our platforms? It's all about empowerment. 
Right. Well, that easy access, I could say I experienced myself, you know, very recently here in, in making sure that I had teams up and running even. And that is something that I use a lot now and something which a lot of folks close to me use a lot, especially I want to talk about right now in this current context. People are, I'm guessing, uh, leveraging these ways to connect through Microsoft more than ever, or at least in more rich ways. Do you see that reflected in, in, in your experiences with what you're seeing from consumers? Absolutely. You know, it, it's, you never want to put a silver lining on what is a really emotional crisis right now. Sure. But I think part of when you look for positives, which is important to do, people embracing technology and, and working remotely in a way that they've never embraced it before will be a change that may net positive for culture going forward. I mean, think of right. the people not commuting anymore, the gas we're not putting out there, the congestion, the nature recovery, and realizing, I mean, I was one of those people. I was the generation where, oh, you're working from home today. We know what that means, right? You're doing laundry, you're out with it. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not really what it means now. <laughs> it's not be. It's all, the opposite like, almost. I'm so tired, right? Yeah, yeah. No, working, working from home, like especially the creative process. I really was a laggard in believing that you could have a great sort of creative development discussion remotely. And we've proven all that wrong. Like we are as productive, if not more, because you probably find too, you're you're almost more attentive in these meetings. If I'm in a room with 15 people, I could be texting, I could be, you know, distracted. Here, you're, you're in it. You know, you're focused. Yeah. You have to be pretty laser focused. Well, especially when you have something like a video on it. I know people can try to skirt around that, but yeah, no, it's a lot easier, I think, to zone out when it's a group of 15 people in an office setting and you, you don't necessarily need to contribute so much, but now it's almost like uh, when the attention's on you, the attention's really on you, not just from a technological standpoint, people really, they literally don't have anywhere else to look except at you. So even that pressure is like in a microcosm, like, I don't know, could be stifling, but yes, you, you've hit it right on the head with regard to working at home and being digitally connected in this in this way. Um, it, it is weirdly tiring, probably as a byproduct of not being used to it, but nonetheless, uh, it's still possible to have these conversations. Who knew? It's yeah. intense. And the other upside I would say is like the conversation you and I had in the beginning is you actually get a little more personally connected more quickly. Like I see your environment, I see your kids, I see your dog, I, you got a three-year-old neighbor downstairs that makes noise. Like right. we, you, in some ways it, it accelerates the getting to know you process in a weird way. Well, because it familiarizes you immediately. I mean, like, you know, think about this. Normally, you and I would be sitting in a conference room somewhere. But, you know, just because of this type of conversation, I, you know, I learned, OK, well, you're at home and you've got folks sheltering in place with you. I've got folks sheltering in place with me. I've we didn't talk about this, but I've recently moved. That's been a huge topic of conversation. You know how familiar my coworkers and friends have gotten with me just with from a situation. pure. Yeah. If I'm on my phone, it's like, oh, it's not just this, like something that I would normally never have expected. Oh, show me around your entire house. Right. Now that's because I moved, and I guess you know there's interest in that. But that's never something I would. I mean, it's a deeper level. That come up? Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, look at you know you're familiar with the fact that we you know work really hard with the NFL for the draft. Look at oh yeah, Patrick Goodell's basement. You you know who's <laughs> the personality, or you know for me to see players. You know we our picture of NFL players is always post success when they're living in the mansions and you know driving the fancy cars to go back and see these kids, which they are essentially kids on their couches in a raised ranch in Ohio somewhere was so humanizing and endearing to me. Like the, there's just a perspective you get, you know, with the voice, we're doing a big thing with the voice to see Kelly Clarkson sipping her big glass of wine in her, in her Montana. Like, ah, I'm like, ah, I like Kelly even more now. I kind of know her, you know, but you don't, but it right. is humanizing. Yeah. Yeah, def definitely. It, it makes you, 
weirdly enough, I think with people who are super high profile, especially uh, people who are as far away as you probably can get from a physical distance perspective, you, you do somewhat feel mentally and emotionally closer to via this digital connectivity, which is uh, something that I I guess I could have thought about, but what, you know, before all these circumstances, when I thought about seeing somebody digitally, it was like kind of in the same context. It's like, oh yeah, I would see them up on a stage. I would see them on a TV show or something like that. But this, yeah, though, as you said, I mean, if people are just sitting in their ranch, people sitting it's there. It's a little more intimate, right? A drink. Yeah. 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 And the other thing that's amazing, uh, you know, and we have to remind ourselves is, you know, five years ago, seven years ago, this probably couldn't happen. You know, the, the capability of the cloud and the internet and all of our tools, you know, it's here now. Like we're when we have a creative meeting, we can share video live. I had an editor editing live in front of me on Teams. You know, a couple of years ago, that would be jumping around and blurry. And so, you know, we're kind of lucky that the technology's, you know, here and now for us to use. Right. Yeah. I've, I don't know exactly what that rule of computing is, but we're certainly starting to... Uh, be grateful for, I think it's every 18 months computing power doubles on average or something. I forget exactly what the rule is, but uh, we're certainly taking advantage of that. As you've led this global brand now and this team around the world, what are some of the, the newest things that you've learned about how to uh, build relationships with teams and drive people forward now that you are essentially forced into this situation where you are you know, necessarily digitally connected? You have to work kind of in a new-ish way. Yeah, I, I definitely think it's harder. <laughs> it's emotionally draining uh -huh. to the point we talked about the, the, the kind of focus that's necessary. I also think that um, casual connection is really important. Like I found shorter, quicker check-in, you doing okay, you know, little notes in Teams because we have our messaging. I think right. um, frequency kind of matters now. You, the distance feels greater sooner when you're not connecting, especially as a, a manager of people. It's, it's, is there a story or two in particular of those more familiar moments that uh, come to mind over the last couple of weeks that you think have really like boosted morale? Cause that's not something a whole lot of people talk about. You know, the first, or maybe they do it. I just, I haven't had that conversation. I think about moving meetings onto teams into virtual environments and solutions and getting business done that way. It's very easy to drop the other side, which you normally would have as water cooler chat. Doesn't really exist in at least not, natively in your head on a digital platform are there a couple stories in general that that like maybe a, a fun s channel that you guys have a, uh, a space where you can have conversations or something like that, that have you seen our mother's day spot like, i have <laughs> like that was real life examples of the stuff we experience every day of the the craziness that goes on live in meetings you know it's insane right. but yeah we do we've we've experimented with a lot of tools and it depends you know, some stuff works for certain teams and doesn't work for other teams, but you know, there's a lot of cocktail hours going on. I was on a Disney ABC cocktail hour the day with Rita and it was great. Like it was lit. I would never have time to have half an hour, 45 minutes of cocktails with somebody normally. And we did it virtually right. and it was a ton of fun. Um, we've done some trivia and some scavenger type things. Like there's a lot of um, creative thinking going on with how to keep people kind of motivated and connected. The other side of that is I keep saying, should we do more? Should we do more? Should we be doing fun stuff? And people are like, by the end of the day, I want to be off the computer. Like, I don't need more meetings. I don't want pretend fun. Just leave me alone. So you got to balance it. A little bit. Do you think that's how they see it, though? Or did was that was it an intentional, like, cut of the time proportion to be 
specifically for these personal more fun times that allowed people to then say, oh, I've had too much of that? Or do you think it's because people are still stuck in this mindset of like, well, in this digital environment, it really should be work-based and all this other stuff does seem like, as you've just said, pretend fun. No, I think it's not the second thing you said. I think it's the former. It's, I think the demands for their time are so high that, um, you know, it can get to be overloaded, especially people with yeah. kids at home. You know, kids oh, yeah. have to do homeschooling and work right now is one of the biggest stressors we have, ergo the Mother's Day spot. Yep. But um, I think it's just balancing the other demands around you. Nobody doesn't want to have fun. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> no no feels, I hear you. Yeah. No one feels forced, I don't think. It's just really balanced. Can I get off a little earlier, you know? Right. It reminds me of our, our uh, fearless leader, Catherine Hayes, who uh, does every morning, um, pretty much the entirety of the morning, except for very late morning, uh, teaches her kids. She's playing homeschool right now as well, you know, splitting between her and her husband and is, is absolutely uh, experiencing that. And um, yeah, it's, well, it's an emotional drain that we, that we all power through because we must, but it's good to know that there is room for those things I suggested, for example, for our team a, uh, a, ha- a cocktail or basically on, on, on Fridays. And so that's what, that's what we do. Try to try to inject a little bit of that. Uh, my significant other, AKA workmate across the wall over here doing the same thing, uh, on, on teams every week. There's a couple of really good things that we're doing that are working well. One is, um, early on, it just got too intense with the constant jamming of meetings. I felt it. Like I, I literally called my M in the first two days and said, I, this is not sustainable. Like I have to go to the bathroom. And for some reason I managed <laughs> between yeah. meetings. Like I somehow, so we decided we cut meetings to 50 minutes and it doesn't work to like try and end them 50 minutes before the hour because no one stops talking as we talked about a little bit earlier. Yep. What you need to do is start them 10 minutes after. So if you can close pretty much on the hour, you get maybe 10 minutes in between, you can shoot a mail off, get a drink, go to the bathroom. So that 50 minutes seems to work. And the other thing I did for my entire team is I sent out a meeting from noon to 1.30 every day from me and it's called mandatory balance. And so it's blocked. You can choose to work during that time, but you have the option to say it's blocked. I got a, I got a meeting with Kathleen so that right. you get that fixed break. Because I think, you know, we have friends, a couple of people sent me notes about it, whether it's to check in with kids, grab a sandwich, or people have family and relatives in different time zones and countries. They can check in with family. So that's been a super popular, you know, mandatory balance block that people have loved, including me. You know, it's that uh, essence of working from home that made people, I think, I don't know about false, I think, but certainly gave them a false sense of security in their work-life balance. Well, throw in a context like this and all of a sudden, unexpectedly, perhaps that work-life balance is out the window. So to be able to block that in, even during what might be normally considered a working time is a really smart thing. Yeah. And you, you know, there are literally physically no boundaries anymore. There's none. And yeah. what are you going to say? I got, I got to go to church. Like you got nothing. You have no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but you have to, the thing I say, especially to the working moms and dads on the teams, I say, you got to set the boundaries because nobody else is. You right. got to say, uh, no, I'm not doing after six. I can't period. Right. You know, absolutely. Don't play hero. Cause you'll burn out. I, uh, you absolutely will. Uh, you, you've got, I'm sure you've got stars on your teams all over the, all over the world. You don't want them to supernova, you know? Right. Exactly. So, uh, I want to talk a little bit about, maybe it's within the experiences of the folks that you lead every day, but the folks all over the world who via being the subscriber of your services, or maybe it be teams, other things 
are experiencing new ways to connect with with their coworkers, with their families uh, all over the world. These are experiences which, at least in my experience, for any brand would be called some of the most authentic you can have because they're real. And you saw some of that in the Mother's Day spot. And folks, uh, wherever you see this, I'll make sure to have a link to these relevant spots in the comment section. But how are you harnessing or perhaps capturing these moments right now? Because I would guess, again, given the context, that proportionally, it's a much higher share of them coming in right now to you. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we decided early on, in fact, we had a shoot plan for like V2 of the team's campaign right before the COVID lockdown hit. And of yep. course, you can't go anywhere and shoot. So we quickly determined, well, guess what? We have the means of collecting the video. We're going to shoot shoot live on teams. And that was the first spot. I think you might have seen with the London Metro Police, University of Barcelona, the people around the world who are keeping the world running basically on teams. So it became reality TV. The challenge we have, as you've probably noticed, is everybody's kind of shooting that way now. Like everybody's on some kind of Teams, Zoom, video-like thing. Sure. So you have to look at ways to kind of differentiate. I don't think necessarily we'll differentiate through the vessel because this is the vessel, but the way we tell stories and who we tell them about is different than us. We're not we're not doing birthday parties and weddings for the most part. We're doing, you know, people doing meaningful things in the world. And it's not just about video calling. It's true collaboration. I don't know if you've done whiteboard yet together, but it's a literal blast to collaborate on a screen right here together, you know, or sharing files. Like I, you know, you remember the days you had to upload somewhere to download somewhere to get a yep. video of any size right now. I'm going to just throw that video into the team's chat. You click on it. We're all watching it. It's, it's a piece of cake. So, you know, it's, it's really changed a lot. Okay. I'm sitting here and a mama deer and two tiny fawns are running across the grass outside. Isn't that nice? You would never have had that. It's amazing. Yeah. If we would have never had that, we were sitting in a conference room. I uh, I can't see over the screen here. I'm sure it's happening somewhere. <laughs> I don't think I can get you through the window, but yeah. No. Yeah. Um, well, th that's something that I wanted to ask about too. Not the not the deer and the and the and the doe. That that's that's great. But I instead about this vessel, the way in which people are interacting with the content that you're putting out, obviously as it's the only vessel, it's the only thing they can interact with, but how have you found the response to these sort of spots, perhaps in comparison to some of the more, I don't know how to put it, but like glossier or like super well professionally produced and shot on like super high-end cameras. How have you seen as the vessel has changed, the response has changed? I think it's much more visceral and real. Like people, like, you know, I hate to keep hybrid on the Mother's Day spot. I just happened to touch a nerve. No, so I mean, but this is a perfect, people are like, let's, that let's hammer on it. That is my life. People yeah. say, that is me. Oh my God, that's my life. I can't believe it. And I think the unpolished nature is just, you know, brings it closer to home. Like that, like you're, you're not perfectly aligned and there's a reflection in the glass. And I, I said, right. I got to look for laundry behind me at any given time. Who cares? We're on it. Makeup. Who's, I don't know who's wearing makeup these days. Die hair. Our hair's all a mess. Yeah, mine's very. Mine's combed. It's very long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just. I don't know. It it distills down to what matters. A great storytelling, as you know, as a podcaster, needs very little support to really connect with people. Great stories connect with people. You don't need all the fluff and the glamour and the light and the coloring and the. It's it's there. It's you know it connects. Yep. Let me ask you a question then about what what you see going forward for this type of content. 
right now, it's got to be necessarily for everybody. It doesn't, mean, doesn't matter what brand you're part of. An incredibly high proportion of the way that they do things. This vessel, as you said, is unchanged. It's pretty standardized across the board. But as these uh, restrictions lift, and we don't know when that's going to be, but people start to go back to normal, those methods of doing things in marketing will still be there. Now that you've seen this increasingly visceral and relatable reaction from consumers, employees, people generally, do you think that that type of content will still have a permanent place as the mix broadens in terms of tactics? Or do you think that, or do you think something else? Uh, what, what do you see for the future of this type you know, of content? I'm a little bit torn because don't get me wrong. There's not part of me that wishes on either of the spots we just created recently. I didn't have some editorial options. You know, the difference right. is when it's real, it's real. I, I don't have, oh, I wish I had, I could cut to this, or I wish I had, I could get her to take that again, you know? So I do, I do think there are elements of the control of traditional production that enhance the story. It's not so much about the glossiness of the film or the lighting of the production. It's that storytelling, um, you know, sort of a Rubik's cube that you have more pieces to work with when you go to traditional production. So I think, I'll welcome that coming back. The part that I don't think will ever go away is the um, the realness. I think that that we're gonna there's a, there's a penchant for reality and honesty and authenticity that I don't think is gonna go away or be tolerated. The one thing though I'm really worried about is I don't know how the context is gonna like you see TV shows now or ads that are a little outdated where people are all in a group together and you kind of go ooh ooh God they yeah. They there you know how long will that sensitivity last like how how much do we have to adhere to social distancing in in video and, and film going forward it's going to be interesting yeah certainly will be um then let's talk a little bit about the work that you're doing with partners. We talked a little bit uh, about the NFL, but in the ways that you engage with the the other brands out there in terms of bringing these stories to light, how do you imagine that changing as a result of this context? Or do you imagine more of the same? The NFL was a great example of what you're able to do with powering those like ranch views during the draft. I think that um, the NFL, and I think Voice is a great example too, we have learned, people have been wrestling for a long time, especially big broadcasts, with what's the second and third screen engagement? What's the right way? And I think the old thinking used to be, you're doing one thing when you're watching and you should do something else on the other screen. And that's what how we'll leverage it. And I think what this has taught us is that's not necessarily the model. The model that I don't think will go away is the ability to engage personally. So I'll give you a voice example. One of the sure. things they did in the broadcast was go to a super fan on video and the super fan got to introduce their favorite contestant. What a cool thing to do because A, you get to know something about that regular person somewhere and get their take on why they love that contestant. It, it just, it was a really brilliant kind of editorial insert that brought me, the viewer, to the program in a way it never happened before. So I think there's a lot of those components that going forward will be maintained in a way to connect people more and make the experiences we were talking about a little more individual as part of a broadcast. Yeah, I, that's something that I've thought to myself as well. And the editorial nature of these things are allowing me to relate to people in traditional media like I wouldn't have had to otherwise. How, how personal, like where's the... What's like the future state of that personalization? Where do you think that extends? Is it, it, of course, super fans in terms of traditional media and looking in on the one person is great. 
how how far do you see that reaching the context of like hyper personalization in in broad mass marketing? I I don't. This is me, and I'm an old lady now. So I would say I don't think it going it goes too far because we are all essentially looking for community. Right. And one of the great things about broadcast traditionally were, you know, we all were waiting to see who shot JR. We're all lined up to see the ads in the Super Bowl. We want to do that collectively and immediately together. That's something that's unique to broadcast that I don't think will go away. And we, I, you know, frankly, you can see it now. Why are the ratings for things like the voice through the roof or the draft had the best ratings ever, or, you know, some of these concerts, people want to come together with a collective experience. So I think it will be a complement to not a replacement for that kind of thing. Yeah, that's probably fair. I don't see the, the, the regular sort of traditional going away. I don't see it performing in the same or not performing, acting in the same way, but uh, that's, that's a fair point. All right. Well, let me uh, let me turn back to Microsoft for a little bit in your uh, ambitions for what you see going forward now, because this context eventually will change. What are you most excited to see as Microsoft's brand expands and, and continues to morph over the next few years? I think I'm excited about the degree to which um, this is kind of forced an openness to technology and a realization of its benefit in a way that was accelerated. Like, I think that people needed to get on and get set up at home and get smart at things. And that, I think, opened them up. It built their confidence a little bit. I think people are more open to trying things now. Like I, I got on with Natalie. We were hysterical. There's some some filters you can put on here where I can wear a you know hat and a, I did I did see some of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I would never normally try that, but I'm like, oh, what the heck? And you know, yeah, you, right. I think there's an openness to experimentation, to uh, being self sort of self-driven that used to be till somebody showed you how to do it. You didn't feel like you should go there. So I, I, I'm excited about that, that openness. I'm also very excited about something we've always stood for, which is we were never just work or just home. We were never just consumer or just business. We were always human. And I think that the world's moved to us in that way. And I'm excited to continue to represent both sides of your of your you know world in a way that's integrated through technology and that's what Microsoft is about. Yeah, I think if there's one thing that we could probably all agree on is that there were a great deal of these secular trends that have been pulled forward, uh, forced forward. I would, so I would say yanked forward, and uh, and it's just it's just not going to go back. You know, and I've I've seen it and I've had these conversations with plenty of people. Whether it's well, people are forced to be digital in a world where they're not. There are others where I've said well, people are taking personal recommendations more than anything. And that's why also you're seeing in these big, uh, regular mass media spots, um, normal people, because they relate to that, as you said, there's a visceral reaction to it. Uh, so glad that you're in a position to be able to take advantage of it as, as you continue to uh, know what you are and what you provide to democratize technologies, which I thought was a really interesting way to put it earlier. I feel like we've always been about sort of community and and we have a set of values that's about making the world around us a better place. I feel like inadvertently a crisis like this kind of brings people to that perspective. Like it's not about I anymore. It's about us. It's all, we're in this together, right? We got to figure this out. Right. And I think that's sort of always been a Microsoft perspective. Like Satya had a great quote recently and I'll, bung, bung, I'll, I'll bungle it, but it was basically something. Please go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was to the effect of, you know, we do well when the world around us does well. We don't succeed in spite of people. We succeed because of people. 
Right. And that's an interesting and fulfilling, I think, position to have in the world. Yeah. So as we go forward, trying to figure out how this COVID thing gets solved, how do you use AI to help, you know, kind of medicine and healthcare in the future? How do we stay connected positively? All of those things are societal and social trends that we play a role in. And, you know, who would have thought 12 years ago, when you join a technology company, you're basically joining a, a social revolution in a way, you know? Right. It's really interesting. A hundred percent. Well, given the fact that you're on the, the cutting edge of that, I, I would like to round out the conversation with some advice. Now, regularly, listeners to the show, you know what's coming. This is our advice column. Here's what here's what I ask and why I ask it. Essentially, the question is, how what advice can you give to build a better brand or build more authentic relationships with the masses, your consumers, fans, followers, whatever? Here's the context. Uh, the people who listen in to this normally are uh, fall into a couple buckets. They're either marketers, could be at Microsoft, uh, brand builders, founders themselves. Generally speaking, though, no matter who they are, folks who are looking to emulate the journeys of the guests that I bring on. And what they get a lot of value of, out of is either, either stories of success, pitfalls avoided, uh, advice from mentors, things learned along the path that have driven you to a place where now you are able to truly practice and preach that democratization of technology, that bringing people together, the us over the eye, because uh, as the thesis of this show goes, is that brands are truly authentic when they are serving as a, a, when, when their masses are serving as their mouthpiece. And so, I'm curious from you, what advice you might have, given your vast learnings over the years and what you're doing currently at Microsoft, to become more authentic as a brand, to build better relationships with consumers, either given this context or beyond it. So as you were speaking, it's a whole other show we could do on this. But as you're speaking, yes, I agree. <laughs> two things, <laughs> two things pop, world. two things pop to mind. Yeah. One is get out of the bubble. I think too often what makes for bad marketing and bad creative, frankly, is people operate in isolated silos of sameness. Whether it's um, you know 24 to 30 year old males who work at creative agencies or people in the tech bubble who think everybody knows and responds to tech like they do. You need to always keep a, a grounded external perspective of real people to be valuable to your company and to do great work. That, that to me is number one. Number two is to me, brand building and making great brands is a lot like building great relationships personally. Like what makes a great brand is what makes a great person. They're honest, they're direct, they're who they are, they're predictable. They don't, they're not like, funny one day and psychotic the next day and mad at you the day after that's not somebody you want to be friends with you want somebody who you go okay and they're honest you know i i just think it's very um it there's, there's an analogy to human relationships that's very clear for me in brand building yeah well i really appreciate that 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 advice and, and i appreciate learning more about what you all are doing. Really appreciate doing it through Teams. This is really cool. Um, you know, to, to be able to provide the, the first type of conversation in this medium that I've had uh, has, has been a real treat. So for that, for all the stories, for, for the advice, uh, and for powering today, uh, even through the tech, uh, Kathleen, I thank you very much for, for coming on the show, for chatting with me, and for giving me the opportunity to learn a little more. Well, thanks, Adam, for asking and uh, caring about our industry. We really do. So it's fun to have it. Thanks.
Thank you so much to Microsoft's Kathleen Hall for joining the show today. It was a treat to learn about what you all are doing, and I'm so glad for the efforts that you all are making to keep us all connected. Thank you, and thank you for the chat. If you liked today's show, here's what you can do to keep on listening in. First off, you can check out podcast.vavoom.co, where all of our episodes and media reside. It's one of our content hubs alongside a page that we have on LinkedIn, Authentic Influence Podcast. You see we keep the branding pretty consistent there, and you can check out both and follow both so that you don't miss a thing other than subscribing across podcast directories, which I assume is partly the way in which you found today's episode. I am also personally on LinkedIn. Adam Connor, connect with me. Let me know what you thought. Let me know who I should talk to next. Any and all feedback, I really appreciate it. And I incorporated it pretty much immediately. So please do not be shy if you have some. I'll be back again real soon with another fantastic conversation about how a brand is mobilizing its masses to become more authentic. And maybe it'll be through teams that we have that conversation as well. But until then, for Authentic Influence, I've been your host, Adam Connor, and you'll hear from me again next time.